Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. To kick off season five, we're bringing you one of your favorite love and life guests, Dr. Dwayna Welch, author of the Love Factually book series. You'll remember Dr. Welch from episode 92, in which she talked about the science of dating and shared the research behind why men and women approach dating differently and how we can harness this science-based knowledge to achieve our relationship goals. I refer to Dr. Welch's work frequently when answering questions in my Love Smarter, Not Harder IGTV series. And because you resonated so much with her book and our conversation, I knew I wanted to ask her to return to Love and Life to launch season five. Today, Dr. Welch and I discuss another hot topic of dating, attachment styles. And we get into how our connection to our mother or primary caregiver in infancy relates to our ability to connect with others in adulthood. Here's a little bit more about Dr. Welch. Dr. Duena Welch is the original Love Factually author and coach known for using social science to solve real-life relationship issues. Following her PhD in psychology, she taught at universities in Florida, California, and Texas across 20 years. She is the author of the original Love Factually book series worldwide and contributes to Psychology Today, eHarmony, and others. All her books rely on science rather than opinion to help men and women find and keep the right partner. And they all have a blue cover for easy identification. Her Love Factually client practice is global via Skype and other technologies. For more information and free content, visit lovefactually.co. My interview with Dr. Welch, up next. Dr. Welch, welcome to the program. Hey, Dr. Karen, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me on again. It's a great pleasure. I am so thrilled to have you on again. Your last episode on Love and Life is one now that I refer people in my community to probably several times a week because they are so hungry for what you did in Love Factually, which is provide the science behind dating strategies that help us all get what we're looking for. And so often feeling that it's a little confusing out there in the dating realm. So thank you for your work and thank you for coming on the program again. Well, thank you. That feels really, really good to hear. So <laughs> I appreciate that. And I appreciate your listeners. Yeah. And the next topic, which there's so many you cover in your ebooks now that are another option for those who want to dig a little deeper. And the one I want to cover today is about attachment styles, because this is a notion that has come into the pop psych realm. And I have a lot of listeners who say things like, I'm an anxious attachment. I'm avoidantly attached. This is going to screw up my entire dating life. Help me, help me, help me. So I thought, let's get Dr. Welch back on the program to go into some depth about attachment styles and what we can do, identify our attachment style and understand how it's going to play out and what we can do if we're not thrilled with how it's playing out in our dating life. Yeah, absolutely. I managed to get a PhD in developmental psych 
knowing about attachment styles for infants and very young children, but not understanding that, oh, this probably carried over into my own adulthood. I literally made it through dating and relationships into my 30s before I really understood that this isn't just a baby thing. It's a thing and it never stops mattering. And I love that you start there. I'm also a developmental psychologist. So of course, attachment, when I first heard that term or when I was hearing it even recently, I go back to John Bowlby, Mary Ainsworth, the strange situation, which is how we assess attachment in toddlers. And that's for another conversation. But I went back there, obviously, because that was my first understanding, my first exposure to attachment. And some of the research I saw when I was in grad school, and this is years ago now, so I know there's been more research in this realm, but the relationship between mother-infant attachment, and of course, it was always assumed that, yes, this would have a lasting effect on a young person as they got from childhood to adulthood, and that the mother-infant attachment would probably generalize to other relationships as well. But all the research at that time wasn't all that strong. It wasn't really finding this connection, although the theory still held and people kind of intuitively thought, yeah, that's got to be true. But you've come across a lot of research in the last several years that substantiates that, yes, that initial relationship does, in fact, generalize to future relationships. And that's where we can, as we're examining ourselves, on the dating scene, we can start to understand why we behave the way we do and then what we can do to make some changes if it's not working for us. Yeah, absolutely. It's looking like about two-thirds of people have the same attachment style into their 20s that they had as toddlers, which I find... Yeah, I find it, that was a wow for me too. I just find it stunning. Um, We don't have much longitudinal research beyond that, so we can't say, and then they maintain the same attachment style for the rest of their lives. And we also know that people can have experiences later in their life that do change their attachment style. There's a concept called earned security, which we can explore in this episode, if you would like, about how people can intentionally change their attachment style if it's not really serving them. So there's a lot of hope, but there's also, if if you're not thrilled with your style, as indeed I was not, there are things that can be done. Yeah. And let's just set the foundation. You give a definition in your book for attachment as habitual ways of being, acting, and feeling in intimate relationships. And you also share another definition. Your attachment style is the typical way you view and act on sustained emotional bonds with other people. And then you describe, according to the research, four styles. There's secure, and then there are three variations of non-secure, which are anxious, And then avoidant has two differences there. You could be avoidant in terms of being fearfully avoidant or dismissive avoidant. So speak to all of this. And I love in your book, as you did in Love Factually, you share your own journey, which I think is always so powerful. I always ask guests to share the research because my community is a bunch of psych nerds. We love hearing that. But we also, of course, love a story. And you share so such a heartfelt story of of your own attachment style and how that played out in your dating life. So yes. So let's talk about all of the above, but breaking down what each attachment style is about, what it looks like, how the behaviors that someone would have, the thoughts they'd be having if they are that category of attachment. And then, of course, share a little bit of your own journey, please. The attachment style experience that I had in dating was so painful that it actually was the catalyst for me to start to learn about relationship science. 
I was getting my PhD in memory aging, so not really this area. And I was dating a guy who in the book is called Matt. And by the way, Matt and I are still friends. And uh, that's not his real name, but he read the book before it came out. So he, <laughs> the book is Matt approved. And gosh, he was just, as they say, all that and a bag of chips. I mean, <laughs> the chemistry was off the charts. We had, you know, conversation that could power us through decades. We enjoyed doing the same things. We had lots of the same friends. We supported each other's goals and dreams. We had a firm foundation of friendship and I already mentioned the chemistry, but it was so good. I'm going to mention it again. So (laughs) it just seemed like, you know, what could go wrong? Well, what could go wrong is we could have an attachment style mismatch. So we'll start with secure, which neither, neither Matt nor I fit. Secure attachment style basically helps you to do all the right stuff in relationships to both form a healthy relationship and sustain it. And if you have secure attachment styles, it's like winning the lottery, except that winning the lottery is really rare and having a secure style is about two thirds of the population. So that's really good. People who are securely attached tend to feel that, for example, sex only gets better in a really long relationship. They're not the people who are saying they're bored. They tend to have few relationships, but those relationships romantically last a really long time. They tend to feel that interdependence is appropriate. They say yes to the following statement. It's my job to help take care of my partner emotionally, which I find really interesting because Mm -hmm. the other two styles do not necessarily concur. They think that that sounds codependent, but the research says, no, actually it's the people who think it's their job to take care of their partners emotionally who grab the brass ring when it comes to relationships. They aren't really worried about whether their partner's going to love them enough or reject them or leave them or smother them. They're just kind of chill about the whole thing. And they're very willing to watch a relationship gradually unfold and progress as they get to know each other very, very well. So that's that's secure. And boy, I would love it if everybody just had that. But because of both nature and nurture, because there is a heritable aspect genetically to attachment style. Some of us don't have that. And so I fall in what I call category B, A being secure. B is anxious. Mm-hmm. And in addition to there being a genetic influence on attachment style, there's also a gender influence or at least a gender association. Most of us who are anxious are female. And most of those who are avoidant, which we'll get to momentarily, are male. So I find that interesting as well. And I was just curious, do you know any of the research on any interpretations for that finding? No, I really don't. I haven't seen, I've seen a lot of people mention that this is true without giving much interpretation. I've interpreted some things about attachment style that I haven't seen before. This is not one of those that I've put into writing, but I strongly suspect that boys are socialized to be independent and not need anyone. And that's more the avoidant take on life and that girls Mm -hmm. are socialized to orient themselves around their relationship status and particularly around making relationships work. I mean, we right now have entire huge cultures that tell girls that if their relationships fail, it's all on them. Yes. So I think that, that there's a strong socialization aspect here. But I think that also ties to biology. Why is it that everywhere in the world we 
tell women to orient themselves around their relationship status and we tell men to be more independent. I think mm-hmm. that gets, when we see a human universal like that, I suspect there's also biology at play. So, you know, as one of my favorite uh, psychologists likes to say, life is messy. So mm-hmm. there are lots of causes for everything mm-hmm. and including this. So we've got more, a greater number of anxious women and a greater number of avoidant men. And so if you're anxious, whether you're male or female, the likelihood is that just like secure people, you really want and value a close, sustained emotional bond with one other adult on a romantic level. You want the same thing that secure people want. The difference is that you're really not sure that you can have it. Secure people, like I said, are pretty chill. They they feel like, well, I'll keep looking. I'll find it. It's going to work out. And anxious people do not have that faith. They are much more likely, or maybe I should say we, are much more likely to feel that we love our partners usually more than our partners love us. That's a big red flag. Another big red flag is if you can't trust somebody to show you over time that they love you, they have to show you right up front or else you don't trust it at all. Mm-hmm. What I call Vulcan mind mill dating for those who <laughs> watch Star Trek. <laughs> we tend to just worry that we're not enough, that we're going to love our partner always more than they love us and that we just won't get the emotional closeness that we're yearning for. And we tend to break up with the same person over and over, which is another big red flag for it. So if any of you out there have noticed that, you know, there's the first breakup, but for you, that's never also the last breakup. (laughs) I'm raising my hand over here. (laughs) (laughs) So, so anxious folks, we've got a lot going for us. The big things we have going for us are that we're extremely motivated to figure this out, make the changes necessary, and find a love life that works. There's nobody more motivated than we are. And that's important because if you don't have a secure style, there is some amount of choosing to become conscious of one's style and choosing to change in certain ways that is very, very helpful. And anxious people want to do it and they work hard on it and often they succeed. So that's good, right? Yeah. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the work with me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns. We'll target limiting beliefs and thought patterns. We'll learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood. We'll identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals and we'll together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. I want to read one of the quotes from one of your people in your community. You had two quotes that I thought were great to share with the audience. This is the thought process of someone who is anxiously attached. Here is the quote. There are a few things harder for me than when my partner says, I just need five to 10 minutes to decompress by myself without me jumping literally on them and asking, why? What did I do? What's going on in there? Want me to make you a pie? Is your favorite flavor still blueberry? When will you hold me again? (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, any kind of me time for the anxious 
person, the person with anxious attachment is threatening. They have a hard time going, oh, that's reasonable to have a few minutes to decompress before we sit down and have our let's talk about our day conversation. And so I think it was great to have that tangible example. And then here's another one, which I was curious what you thought about this. It says, I think the problem with me lately is that although I'm not just settling or looking for just anything, I also want it too much. I want to be with someone. I want to fall in love. I eventually would love to get married, etc. I know that's the desire of a lot of people, but because I want it so badly, and I admit that, it does weigh heavily on my mind often, daily even. So in that case, I think a lot of listeners would very much resonate with that. And as I read that, I thought, well, I think a secure person could say something like that too. So help us understand the distinction here. Yeah. So yes, I know both of those people actually very well. And their quotes are shared with permission. And um, even though the first quote you read is really, really funny, that is really how she feel, felt yeah. or feels. And the second person, you know, you're right. Anyone could feel that way. The difference is the emotional valence. Secure people also really want to find their person, but they don't find that it's necessarily this almost depressing, mm-hmm. semi-hopeless sense that I want this, but maybe I can't have it. Okay. Okay. Notice that what's really in that quote is not just wanting it, but a feeling that because I want it, I can't have it. Mm -hmm. And then leading to depression in many cases. And you speak very candidly that when you were feeling, you you were on the dating scene and struggling and feeling very anxious in your attachment style, you did feel depression. But when you met Vic, your husband, because he's secure, that was very therapeutic. Just your relationship helped ease not only your anxious attachment style, but also your depression, which I thought was beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. So I've written a lot about John Gottman, who has done much of the foundational research on what makes happy couples tick and how they are different from unhappy couples. And he said something in an interview that I thought, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. He said that when he first met his wife, Dr. Julie Schwartz Gottman, that for the first time in his life, he just never felt lonely again. Mm. Like, even though they, they weren't in love yet, they had just met and had a very wonderful conversation at this coffee shop slash bakery that lasted a couple hours, but he had spent his whole life feeling lonely. And then he met her and he wasn't anymore with Vic. I very much felt that way. Also, I didn't, I wasn't in love. I wasn't necessarily even in deep like yet. I just somehow didn't feel lonesome anymore. And I think what I was responding to was someone who was extremely steady and clear about what he wanted. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing that you can have what's called earned security. And that's really, I want to go ahead and throw a life ring to everybody who's feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't fit secure. I, I, right. It's hopeless. If you can find someone secure and form a solid partnership with someone who's secure, you can get what's called earned security where, okay, maybe that's not your default position in life, but with this person it is. And you know, most of us don't need to have a polyamorous relationship. So for us, finding one person with earned security is actually plenty. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's plenty. And I wanted to highlight that because I do believe that in an age and an era of diagnostic inflation in our realm and in the psychotherapy community and the psychology community in general, 
I believe oftentimes our depression that we experience for a season and people then assume, oh, I must have clinical depression and I go get medication. And I'm seeing myself, I've assumed an identity now that I am a depressed person. When I think in reality, what you describe and what Dr. Gottman describes is very real. That depression is oftentimes a very natural, reasonable, appropriate response to feeling a lack of connection in a realm that we really want to feel connected to someone. Being well-adjusted to a sick society is not a sign of good adjustment. Beautifully stated. I'm almost quoting somebody there and I don't know who, but right now, you know, in these times and, and if you don't have a partner and you are lonely, you know, there's no need to beat yourself up for feeling depressed that I hate that we shame people for not being happy. Yeah. Sometimes we're not happy for a reason. Sometimes we're looking for our person and it doesn't feel good right then. Sometimes we need connection from friends and lovers and family, and we don't have that. And and it's dispiriting. And, you know, of course the thing to do is keep searching, Mm -hmm. keep searching, don't give up. And I love that you speak to, for an anxious attachment, someone who falls under that, that category, that this earned security could this be this beautiful blessing of a connection with someone who's securely attached. However, you do make mention in the book that for some reason, anxious folks tend to be drawn to avoidant and vice versa, and they get caught up in that pursuer distancer dance. So could you speak to that a little bit? And, and also, because we haven't delved into the avoidant type yet, go ahead and flesh that out, please. Yeah. Thanks for the reminder. I kind of, you know, choo-choo, there I go. No. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so, so let's start by talking about these avoidant folks. And most avoidant folks are, are male, not all, you know, your mileage may vary, um, hashtag disclaimer. So um, if you're avoidant, whether you're male or female, I don't like the term avoidant because it's not true that avoidant folks avoid relationships. Right. They, you know what? Evolution pretty ruthlessly selected against people who really want to be totally alone. All of us are direct descendants. All of us are direct descendants of people who had at least enough connection to have sex. All of us. Mm-hmm. Even even if you had like a surrogate mom, or even if you know your mom got a sperm donor, the fact is these people wanted connection enough to have children. So evolution has pretty much eradicated this idea that we sometimes have that, oh, I just don't need anyone. People do need people. All people pretty much need people, but it's true. Some people need people much more than others do. So if you're avoidant, you probably find that at the initial stage of a relationship, you're super, super excited about it and you get extremely invested extremely quickly. You know, you could make your world all about this other person. And then just when things are going really well, you start to kind of nitpick a little bit Mm -hmm. or maybe a lot, or you fabricate drama, like everything was going fine. And then something that was fine with you before is not fine. And I've got an example in my book that I'd like to share now because anxious Duena, that would be me, got involved with avoidant Matt and avoidant Matt gave me the keys to his house and gave me my own bathrobe and gave me not just permission to come over to his house whenever I wanted. He insisted. And this was a long time ago. This was back when cell phones were the size of of an actual brick. (laughs) Right. So in other words, he and I did not have cell phones. Like if you weren't near your phone, you just guessed whether the other person was home and you went over there. Right. 
So he said, you know, anytime you want to come over, you should. And I kind of thought, oh, you know, I, I was a little leery of that. For some reason, my gut just said, you know, you haven't known him that long. Maybe, you know, wait for a while. Well, one time I was having friends stay at my place and I didn't have a very big place. And Matt had been encouraging me to, you know, why aren't you coming over? You should just come over. So I did. And he wasn't home. So I drew a bath and I luxuriated in the bath. And then I put on my nice fresh robe that I'd never worn. And I got one of my favorite books and I sat on the couch and I was reading it. And when he came home, there I was freshly bathed, beaming up at him for my book, batting my eyelashes. And he was terrified. Mm -hmm. He was not happy about it. He was terrified. Now I should tell you, just like most most people don't live at the North or the South Pole, he has an extreme version of avoidant attachment style. And so if you're avoidant, and this sounds extreme even for you, that's okay. You might live more toward the equator of the avoidant style. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But his reaction was to look like he had just seen a ghost, pack his things into a bag, walk out the door without saying anything to me and leave for four days. That's, yeah, that's a big step away. Yeah. And that wasn't the end of the relationship, but it was the beginning of the end of the relationship. Years and years later, we discussed that event. And what he said to me, again, he's read this book and agrees to everything I said in it. Mm -hmm. What he said to me was, Duena, when I came and I saw you like that, I felt like you were using your sexuality to manipulate me Mm -hmm. into feeling a certain way. And I said, from where I sat, I was just doing something you'd asked me to do a bunch of times. Right. So if you're avoidant, you may find that you look over your past relationships and there are all these kind of pivotal moments where suddenly there was drama and you felt like there was a reason why. But now that you look back, actually, you were the reason why. You created drama. Mm -hmm. And you often did it just when things were going really, really well. That's a big red flag for avoidant. Absolutely. And you make such, and I just love your gentle style because you make it very clear that avoidant people could be perceived as being mean, as being cold, as being even manipulative, right? Oh, yes, please. Here's the keys. Come over anytime. The minute you do it, bye. (laughs) But you're very clear Mm -hmm. that this is something that they oftentimes, most times, don't fully understand why they're behaving this way. And as you just spoke to, they may look back and until they sit down with someone with another vantage point to say, this is where it was from my interpretation. Here's how, here's why I behaved the way I did. That clarity wouldn't necessarily be available to them. And I just think it's really important. We have an age where oftentimes a woman gets hurt. Then all of a sudden he's a narcissist. And I'm like, oh, is he? And and most people I don't think are maniacal. I don't think that they're out there trying to dupe one another on the dating scene. They're just operating from their own sensibility and what they're able to bring to the table. And oftentimes it can be very hurtful, but I don't believe most of the time it's intended. Yeah, no, it's really, really not. And, you know, I did feel like it was back when I was dating, but then after I started seeing clients, which, you know, I mean, I use this information to help myself. I mean, that's why I got into this. So it turned into a career quite accidentally, and now it is my career. But it was not until after I started seeing clients, and I was, I will tell you, the people I've worked with who suffered the most had the avoidant attachment mm-hmm. style because they realized, and it is a painful realization they realize that it's not that you haven't found the right person yet. You keep finding the right people and sabotaging it. 
Because if you are avoidant, here's what feels good to you. I want everybody to picture themselves as an atom right now. You've got a nucleus, you've got an electron cloud. Now, if you're an atom and you can have a partner join you in the atom, where do you want them? Do you want them in the nucleus, the heart of your heart, or would you prefer to have them in the cloud where you know where they are, you can rely on them, but they're not right there with you unless invited in for brief bursts of time. Secure and anxious people give answer A. Secure and anxious people say, I want you right there in the nucleus mm-hmm. with me. Avoidant people say, oh, the, that electron cloud is sounding pretty good. <laughs> yep, yep. But it's hard to find somebody who wants that, you know? Right, because that's arm's length is how you describe it in the book. You also have a quote from one of your clients, and he says about his former girlfriend, my favorite time was when she would go take a bath while I was home. I felt loved and secure and safe because I knew she was right there. And at the same time, nothing would be asked of me. Exactly. What happens a lot with avoidant men, it's interesting because their partners think he doesn't mm-hmm. care. He, he shows me through his actions he doesn't care. Actually, what I have found is that he cares so much that if he even perceives that you might want something, he feels horrifically guilty if he cannot deliver mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So the idea that that client said, and I got that permission for that quote too, Mm -hmm. of course. And what he's expressed to me again and again is this idea that I want an intimate relationship, but it pains me to feel that I can't live up to all the things that a partner, even the most reasonable partner would want. And so I get terrified when I think, oh my gosh, now that she loves me, Mm -hmm. like He's real happy until she loves him. Now that she loves me, I'm not going to be able to always make her happy. And that's a terrifying prospect. So in other words, these guys actually mostly aren't jerks. One woman that I quote in my book said, you know, that she's been told she's heartless. That's very unlikely. The likelier scenario is she she feels tremendous guilt. Mm -hmm. And in order to stave that off, she avoids allowing herself to be totally close to somebody. And, you know, it's really, it's really a therapy issue. I mean, I, I think people who have an avoidant attachment style, if they want to find a partner who understands them and who understands, Hey, I'm doing the best I can here. I really do love you. I just need some time apart now and then. And to not take it personally, I really advise that they work with somebody who's knowledgeable about Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. You mentioned emotion focused therapy can be helpful Mm -hmm. for partners. And can you describe a little bit about the work that's able to be done through that sort of therapy? Yeah, that's not, I'm not a therapist and that's not my area. This is started by Dr. Sue Johnson. Dr. Johnson wrote a very famous book. For those of you who are already in this kind of partnership, I would advise you to get it called Hold Me Tight. Mm. And it's a science-based, data-driven approach to healing if you are already in the dynamic of pursuer-distancer, where one of you seems to be have an avoidant style and the other one has an anxious style. And this therapy has data behind it showing that it works for about two-thirds of couples who are in this scenario. So I highly recommend that. If you're just dating, though, if you're just getting to know someone, honestly, what I recommend is that you get with someone where you're not going to have years and years of therapy ahead of you and lots of struggles. Like you're in a position now, just starting out, to pick someone that already can give you what you need. And I think you should. Yeah, that would be the easiest approach. And <laughs> that would be the, the most yeah. fluid and the least uh, painful and angst ridden approach for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's connect on social. 
I'm most active on Instagram, where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my Love Smarter, Not Harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson April and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. I know you speak to the nature nurture piece. I think that sometimes someone can go through such heartache. Maybe they had a decent attachment with their primary caregiver, but then they got blindsided by someone who cheated on them. And so they are now experiencing anxious attachment that they maybe didn't even have as a child. And what does that look like as far as when they're with that avoidant person, those dynamics like you described with you and Matt, what is that, what is that pull and how can they dial it back and start, like you said, trying to find someone who's going to just be an, an easier and more stable and more secure feeling fit? Yeah. So one of the things is learn about not only your own attachment style, and you can do that with my book or there are other books out there. Um, this I've, I've got seven books out. So the specific book I'm talking about is Love Factually. I think it's Attachment Style Dating Made Easier, maybe, I think is, the, is the subtitle mm-hmm. on it. So you could get that book, which is a short, inexpensive book meant to don't bore us, get to the chorus. Here's the quick hit on attachment style and how to date this way. And you can learn, okay, what are the signs that this other person has a different style than, than I have? And you've alluded now a couple times to why is it anxious and avoidant people are so attracted to each other? I have never read another scientist talking about this. So this is my hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Avoidant people at an implicit unconscious level know that if they take a long time to get to know somebody, that they won't be able to sustain that level of intimacy. They need people out there in the electron cloud. It does not feel safe to have them in the nucleus. And so they can't do a gradual, always green light courtship. What they do instead is Vulcan mind male dating. And that often scares secure women away, by the way. Oh, yeah. Secure women often think, okay, why do you need to tell me all of this on our first <laughs> right. date? So, but it brings anxious women much closer mm-hmm. because keep in mind that anxious people feel like we aren't enough and that we are going to love you more than you love us, which is a terrifying prospect and that you probably will abandon us someday. So what we sense when there's an avoidant man who's pursuing an anxious woman, what anxious women sense is, oh, finally, someone who really wants me. Mm-hmm. We then feel really baited and switched as if we've been manipulated when, you know, <laughs> this one guy I quote in the book said he's the perfect boyfriend for 90 days. <laughs> and he said before he understood his attachment style, he just wondered why he did that. Mm-hmm. But he's the perfect boyfriend for 90 days, sweeping women off their feet. And then at the 91st day, almost to the to the calendar date, he says he notices that all of a sudden he's just not as available. Mm-hmm. You know, the woman will walk past and he won't even look up. Obviously, an anxious partner is going to be extremely hurt by that. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do what a secure partner would do and say, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? They're going to think, oh my God, he doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> You know, so because secure people don't personalize this, they just think, oh, well, what can I do to help? Yeah. Yeah. God, I wish I was secure. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
it's it's the perfect match at the beginning because the anxious person gets this validation that she needs and the avoidant person gets to lock this down quickly before he runs out of gas right mm-hmm. but it's only perfect for a little while and then it hurts and it hurts for years unless people get help so instead of hurting for years what i'd like you to do is learn more about attachment styles and if you are secure i'm just going to don't bore us get to the course if you're secure get with somebody secure or anxious. Look, secure people, anxious folks want what you are selling. If you show them how to be secure, they will do the work. Now, won't an anxious type kind of freak out a secure person though? In those early days, they might expect too much too soon. Like you mentioned this, a lot of information right away. They're going to want, we went on one date and now they expect texts every day. And won't that freak out the secure person? Usually not. Secure people are semi unfreakoutable. <laughs> the time that they freak that's a scientific term. So, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a secure woman may think, oh my gosh, he just told me his entire life story. Okay, that feels weird. And like maybe she doesn't want to date you again. But usually, if a secure man is, keep in mind again, most anxious people are female. So, if a secure man is courting a woman, who needs more and she asks for more, he'll usually go, Oh, all right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, secure people view it as their job. Can you imagine? They view it as their job to see to their partner's happiness. Even early on, because I do, I get a lot of, well, not necessarily right from the beginning, but what I'm saying is like in early, in, in early dating, they, okay. So it, it's easier for me to say, If you're secure, if you see signs that this person may be anxious, learn more about anxious attachment style because there's really nothing to be terribly afraid of here. Mm -hmm. They want what you're selling. They want what you, they want to do life the way you're doing it and they welcome your guidance. Mm -hmm. The warning that the caveat that would come with that is if you're secure and you're courting an anxious woman she may not emotionally attach to you as fast as you attach to her because she may find that she feels a little bored because you're not pressing your suit that hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In which case, just keep moving forward and she will either eventually attach to you or she won't. Mm-hmm. Just like with anything. I very, I got to tell you, I mean, the secure people that I've worked with, they're really not this worried about it. I have that part in the book, but honestly, I spend very little time talking about that. Yeah, I think I think it's helpful for the women, like I said, in my community, because I do think that they sometimes do approach a new relationship and they do expect a level of communication that I don't think is quite warranted yet. And then he's not texting yes. me back and I got to I got to let him know what I need. And I think it's been two weeks. I don't know that you are owed a daily text yet, at least for me. And from my experience dating, when someone was blowing up my phone on the regular, that was a little bit too much too soon. The term that we use in the dating realm is love bombing. Like, is he trying to swoop in and just bomb me right off the bat? And it felt insincere at first because I thought you don't know me well enough to want to talk to me every day. You just don't yet. I, I mean, I feel pretty good about myself. I think I'm a catch, but when there's too much too soon, that freaked me out. But maybe that's, I'm a little avoidant, perhaps, Dr. Duena. <laughs> no, that sounds more secure, actually. 
that sounds a little more secure because you know your own worth, but you also are able to have enough detachment from the immediate situation to, I'm just going to psychoanalyze you right now. Bring okay? it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have enough detachment to realize I am wonderful and you don't know that I'm wonderful yet. You don't know me well enough yet. Yeah. And, and that's more of a secure standpoint. So that's, you know, that's great. The conversation that I have is with anxious women who have a hard time getting excited about secure partners. Right. It feels flat and dull because they're used to the vicissitudes of the emotions. Yes. They, it's almost like traumatic bonding. Yep. They have gotten used to the, the hurt as being part of what bonds them. And what I have to say to them is give yourself breathing room to see if this grows. And if it doesn't, your intuition will eventually speak very loudly and say, not this one. And you can break up with him then. But as far as expecting signs of undying love right up front, until he has asked you to be his girlfriend and proven that it's worth your time to say yes, until you know him well enough to know that it's a good idea to make a commitment to not seeing anyone else. I want you seeing other people. I want you actively involved in searching for other people. And I want you to keep giving men a chance who don't sparkle right away. The best people often do not sparkle right away. Mm -hmm. So it's really the conversation I have is not with the secure people. It's mostly with the anxious folks. Yeah. And I, I think that's such important wisdom. And that's something that, like I mentioned, I'm referring a lot of people to our conversation and to your books. And it's partly because you provide some structure in a realm that feels so nebulous. And it's just nice to have some concrete advice that's science-based. So this is not just your opinion. The science is there to help people have a more Again, structured and concrete approach to getting what they want in their love life, which, of course, is a huge part of life in general. I was just reading over some of Arthur Aaron's work, and he talks about how the biggest predictor of happiness in people is their relationships. And certainly our relationship with ourselves is part of that and our friends and family, but absolutely our person, we're looking for that person to partner with through life with. So I have one last little question. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit and I'll go personal again. Okay. So, <laughs> so my ex-fiance, and I think we've, we've both called off weddings. So we have that in common. My ex-fiance told me, of course, when I called off the wedding, which is painful and horrifying and just painful all the way around. Hard for me to do, hard for him to hear, of course. But he told me, he's like, you know, you were always emotionally unavailable. So in his mind, he would frame me if he was presented with all this research and this theory, he would say I was avoidant. And I've shared with my community at times that story to say, well, no, I was quote unquote avoidant or emotionally unavailable to someone I wasn't a good fit for. Because when I met my husband, I stepped into that very easily. There was no avoidance. There was there was reticence because he was recently divorced and he had kids. So I was going to be a stepmother. There were a lot of realities that I didn't jump in with both feet because I had to kind of put a big toe in, test the waters. How is this going to be? These are real grown up realities that I'm going to be stepping into if I marry this person. But it wasn't that I was ever emotionally unavailable. So final thought, how do we distinguish from someone who's just maybe it would appear avoidant to someone, but it's just like, that's not the right fit or might appear anxious when it wasn't the right connection. Like again, we, we spoke to the anxious avoidant partnership. Someone could, it would heighten someone's anxiety. And in your case, you were able to become more secure with the right person. 
Yeah. So that is a great example and a fascinating question. First of all, I would say that most avoidant people are not emotionally unavailable at the start. They are the exact opposite Mm -hmm. of that. They're intensely available at the start. So that doesn't fit right Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as far as, as you having been, none of the examples you've shared fit for you being avoidant in my knowledge of this. Second, sometimes people just aren't into us and it's very painful to acknowledge that, that we're not everybody's flavor. Right. But sometimes we meet someone who it's not that they have an attachment style that mismatches ours. It's just that they just aren't feeling it. And that's not your fault. And it's not their fault either. I mean, I think most of us, if we have, you know, lived more than about 25 years, most of us have encountered a person who on paper we should have fallen in love with. Mm -hmm. And yet we did not. And some of us even have, haven't you met people who are like, Oh God, I, I really wish that I'd fallen in love with him. You know, my family liked him. He treated me like gold encrusted with sapphires and diamonds. He, you know, really loved me. He was everything I said I had wanted and I didn't love him. And sometimes that just happens. You just, you can't make yourself love somebody, right? Yep. So, and boy, calling off a wedding, you and I both know from experience, the only thing more painful than calling off a wedding is having the wedding you shouldn't have had. Yep. Yep. So that's hard to do, but you know, sometimes we realize a little later than we would wish, sometimes a lot later than we had wished that this is not a match that we are able to make with that level of of permanence. We're just not able to do it. And so people usually act in integrity. They're not out to get us and and con us. Mm-hmm. Usually when they disappoint us, it was also a disappointment to them. I think that's very well put. And it's definitely my experience and something that, as I mentioned earlier, I do try to to share with people in our community because they can get so demoralized and they can start to feel like everyone's out to get me on the dating scene. And it's really people operating with the tools that they have available to them at that time and doing the best they can. So thanks again, Dr. Duena, for coming on the program and sharing all of this. I'm so excited to share our episode with my community. And I would love to have you back on because the other topic that they are so interested in hearing is about love factually for single parents, which I know was born from your own experience as well. Yes. Um, it ain't for sissies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's a fact. And Yeah. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that. We will schedule a time in the near future. But again, thank you so much for joining me again on the program. Thank you. It was a great pleasure. And I love hearing from your audience. And I just love interacting with you. So thanks again. Thank you. The love and life hack for this week is, and I'll borrow from Dr. Welch. Hoping for love is not just a fairy tale. Love is realistic, abundant, and attainable. And I'll add to her quote, love is realistic, abundant, and attainable no matter what your attachment style is. Thank you for joining me as we launch season five of Love and Life. I'm so glad we've shared this time together. And I know Dr. Welch's work will help you love smarter, not harder. If you haven't already, be sure to sign up for my newsletter 
As a Love and Life Insider, you'll be the first to know about all things love and life, including insider perks and freebies. One quick favor. I'd be so grateful if you'd take a second to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts. This helps others find the show so they can join the Love and Life community. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. I am so excited to kick off season five. There's so much quality content coming your way in the upcoming episodes. Thank you once again for joining me. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.